Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. My apologies. I have been a little bit remiss in uh, putting out these podcasts. It's been a little while. I sort of did two close together back to back with guests and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not the kind of person to wear busy as a badge of honor, but I got uh, incredibly busy. And so here is my triumphant return, <laughs> I guess, after a short period of time. Um, I used to, I, I usually like to talk a little bit about what it's like where I am. I am talking to you from the state of Maine in the United States. It's early in the morning here. It's, gosh, it's uh, 6.18 a.m. as I read this. And I'm looking out and the sun is coming up and um, the birds are out and the um, small animals are playing. And one of the things I love to do, I feed the birds and I feed the small animals around here. And I leave, um, I have a back deck that I look out over when I record these and I love to, um, what I, I put peanuts out for the, um, shelled peanuts out for the chipmunks and squirrels. And I have a little chipmunk that loves to climb up on my deck and stuff his cheeks full of peanuts. And it's pretty cute. And, uh, so why am I telling you this other than to give you, um, a slice of a view into, what I'm experiencing at this moment, um, which I think is important, right? I mean, I think, um, you know, I don't get a good sense of who or where you are other than your your location. I can look at statistics and see that people are tuning in from all over the world. And I love that. I love that. So um, I like to share a little bit of what it's like where I am as I'm recording this. The ancients used to um, you know, at least, you know, in, in many, many cultures used to, you know, record astronomical, um, observations. And I, I don't have to do that because we have, uh, scientists and computer programs and all kinds of stuff for, for doing that. Um, which, which is pretty incredible. The modern world is, is interesting and technology is incredible. It helps me talk to people all over the world. So today I'm going to talk to you about a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and I'm going to talk, uh, it, and also leads a little bit from my introduction, I'm going to talk about nature spirits. And what do I mean by nature spirits? What are nature spirits? Where do they come from? What are their, you know, what are the cultural influences and and all of those sorts of things? Um, and I'm using the word the phrase nature spirits very, very broadly um, as sort of this giant category of thing. It's as if I'm saying animals to refer to all the animals on the planet, right? Um, From insects to uh, whales to hummingbirds um, to human beings, you know, those are all animals. So there's a huge variety. And, uh, so it's a kind of a catch-all phrase, and it's the same way with nature spirits. There's a huge variety of what 
we will call nature spirits. And I'm going to um, talk about that. And obviously, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I come from a shamanic background. Um, my, my training and my spirituality is rooted in shamanism. And so I look at things from, I tend to look at things from a shamanic perspective. This is not to say that my viewpoint is correct. Um, if there is such a thing, it is my viewpoint. And it's, it's colored by my life experiences, my beliefs, my um, practices, all of those things. And that's true for everyone. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about different cultures today. And I'm not an expert. I'm not an anthropologist. I am just somebody who is, you know, through my spirituality, um, incredibly curious about different cultures, interpretations of similar phenomena. And um, so if I speak incorrectly, um, you know, or I, I say something that's that's a little out there um, from your own belief system, um, that's fine. You know, that's okay. Um, take it for what it is. Take it, take it that I'm interpreting things through my own set of lenses and you're interpreting what I'm saying through your own set of lenses. We all do that all the time with everything. And, um, uh, you know, if there's a correction to be made, you can contact me through my website or something and I would be happy to, I'm happy to learn. I think that's a healthy um, standpoint, right? Um, to assume that you might not know everything and that, you know, being open to learn, right? Come to things with a beginner's mind, it's, you know, sort of a Zen idea, right? In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few or none. So getting locked in, uh, getting locked into our beliefs, getting locked into uh, our little reality tunnel or reality box. We all live in a little box, which is bounded by our beliefs. So sometimes we can experiment. We can try on different beliefs. You know, what if, what if this were true? What if that were true? And see how that works for us. Um, and that can help us grow as humans. So anyway, I digress a little bit. I'm going to refocus now and I'm going to talk about nature spirits. And what do I mean by nature spirits? So from a shamanic perspective, right, shamanism um, is an extension, I guess, from animism, which is the idea that all living beings have spirits. Um, even, you know, some animists... Uh, I happen to be one of them, believe that even non-living things have spirits. So things that we would consider non-living rocks and streams, um, you know, <clears throat> even there is a, you know, a spirit of the internet. There's a spirit of um, everything. Um, and, and it's, again, like that's a viewpoint, right? That's a, that's a point of view that I take, that I address everything as a spirit. My car is a spirit. And that, you know, that might be a little shift too. I don't think of things as having spirits. I think of them as spirits. So in my viewpoint, um, everything there is, is a spirit. Some things that exist have a physical 
presence, have a physical projection, okay? So what that means is that, um, you know, if I'm looking at the tree outside of my window, that tree is a spirit that also projects a physical presence of a tree. But not everything that is a spirit has a physical presence. And so this is where we get into the idea of nature spirits. So what am I talking about with nature spirits? Um, So nature spirits are spirits of place, spirits that live sort of between worlds, between um, what we would consider the middle world in shamanism, which is the spiritual overlay of physical reality. Um, and they and they belong and they sort of belong here, right? They're not uh, they're native. They're native to this space. So um, there are as many. I, I can't even think of all of the terms for the different types of nature spirits. But if you think about mythological beings for a moment, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Almost every culture you can think of has some concept of what they would call little people, right? Little people as in fairies, elves, brownies, greenies, trolls. Um, in Hawaii, they have the menahune. Um, the, the African shaman Maladama Somme talks about the um, contomble from his culture um, in Southeast Asia in Indonesia they have the orang pendek which are the little little people which I'm I'm not sure may have a physical presence or not. Again, I'm talking about cultures that I'm not native to, so I'm I'm only going to speak as an outsider from from that perspective, but gosh, you know, all of these cultures that may or may not have had contact at some point in history have this idea of little spiritual beings. You know, and tons of them, tons and tons and tons of them. If you think about, um, if you think about these, <clears throat> if you think about the fairies, right? You know, um, fairy faith is still strong in some places in, um, you know, what we would consider the United Kingdom and Ireland, right? So the British Isles area. Um, you know, I know places. Uh, Iceland, for example, um, trolls are very real beings there. Trolls and elves and and that sort of thing. Very real, very part of the culture. Um, So what's, you know, what's going on here? Are these just figments of people's imagination? Are they archetypal? Meaning that all of these cultures just spontaneously came up with these... um, you know, ideas of these little people that can flit in and out of view and can do magic and, you know, um, sometimes communicate with people, sometimes, um, you know, make offerings or, you know, all of these, you know, all of these ideas, what's going on here. So, um, in my perspective, in my view, um, these beings are very real. And they live in a place that is very, very close to physical reality. They, they live in what we, in the shamanic 
perspective call the middle world, which is, again, it's the spiritual overlay of 3D physical reality that we experience with our eyes and ears and sense of touch and that sort of thing. Um, this wasn't always the case for me. I mean, you know, in English anyway, the word fairy tale has taken on the meaning of something that is untrue, right? So fairy stories, fairy tales, um, they generally refer to, you know, mythological tales that we tell to children to teach moral stories or that sort of thing. But also, you know, if somebody is, um, you know, telling you a story that you think is untrue, you might say that's a fairy tale. That's a fantasy. You have made that up in your imagination. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. And that used to be my perspective that, um, you know, this was all made up and I saw the, you know, watched the Tinkerbell movies about fairies and, you know, the Disney perspective and, you know, these things have really woven themselves into our culture and they've always, you know, they've always been there as far as we have written history. Um, there are, uh, you know, lots and lots and lots of history of, uh, uh, interactions, you know, things written down, um, interactions with, um, nature spirits with, with the fae, with the fairies. And I'm sure that's true in, in many other cultures that I'm, that I'm not even, you know, not even aware of, right? Certainly the, um, you know, there are legends in, Hawaii about the Menahune building things overnight, building, you know, giant walls overnight or temples or, you know, that sort of thing. And I don't, you know, I don't know the truth of those things, but um, these are very real beings in many, many cultures. And it's only sort of recently that we have said, no, there is nothing beyond the physical reality. Um, you know, these you know, when you're telling stories of these supernatural creatures, um, and I wouldn't call them, I personally wouldn't call them supernatural. I think they're very natural. I think they, they exist. So I'll tell you, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you about a couple of my personal experiences that sort of drove home that these are, um, these are not necessarily made up beings. Um, and, uh, you know, I promise I am not having a psychotic break. I am sitting here. I am sitting here drinking my coffee, which is which is delightful. I always have a little coffee when I do these, particularly because I usually record them in the morning. Um. So, um, uh, you know, one story that I have this, you know, this happened to me personally. I used to, um, I used to live in. Boston, Massachusetts in the U.S. And um, I used to, I've trained in martial arts my whole life. And um, I used to train in this dojo, which is a dojo, if you don't know, is a place where, you know, you go train Japanese martial arts. So I was training in Japanese jujitsu in this dojo, which was in um, the basement of this building. And I was training with my friend Jimmy one day. Um, and we were the only two in this particular room in this dojo um, working together. And my teacher had stepped into the other room to to do something. And, um, you know, Jimmy and I were training. And this little, I want to say, little, you know, little green man, that's going to sound like I'm talking about an alien. And it may be that aliens are, are, um, are 
you know, are a thing, um, that are nature spirits, who knows? Um, I don't know the truth of that. Um, but this little man who was, had sort of a greenish tint, um, was wearing sort of normal human clothes, but was about two feet tall. I saw him come running through the room and, um, run right through the back wall of the dojo where we were training. And at first I thought, you know, I'm just seeing things. That's not real. And my friend turned to me that I was training with. He goes, did you see that? And I was like, yeah, what did you see? And he described it to me. He's like, that little man just ran through here and ran through the wall. He looked solid to me. Like it didn't look like a figment of my imagination or a ghost or anything like that. And I was like, wow, I saw the same thing. How could that be? You know, it was really weird. And then my teacher, um, my teacher walked into the room and said, what happened to that little guy that just came running through here? So three people had seen the same thing. Um, you know, one of them had not been listening to the conversation we were having. So, um, you know, something, something clearly was going on there. And then, you know, later in life, I, you know, started studying shamanism and I would journey and I would journey into the middle world and I would realize that, oh gosh, there are these nature spirits everywhere, everywhere. It's crowded. (laughs) Um, The earth is a crowded place. And my take is that the ones that we sometimes see are, um, you know, are either able to sort of manifest in the middle world. And then, you know, these are the ones that um, sort of normal, when I say normal, I mean people not like me, um, normal folk, folk who are not practicing um, trance work or, you know, um, traveling to non-ordinary reality like like um, shamans do, um, they're experiencing beings that are very, very close to... Uh, having physical bodies or that have the ability to shift in and out of physical form in the middle world, right? So for me, it's just a matter of like frequency about being able to tune to a certain frequency. Like when I, when I do a shamanic journey, when I enter trance, I can, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's happening is my brain waves are getting tuned to a certain frequency that allows me to perceive things that I normally wouldn't perceive, right, in in 3D ordinary reality. And when I've done that, I have met all kinds of spirit beings in the middle world, Um, nature spirits in particular. I remember um, meeting a being one time that was, you know, said something to me, you know, appeared appeared female and said, um, I sing the trees to sleep at night. And I was like, well, that's kind of poetic and interesting, but you know, trees are not trees are not animals. They don't sleep. And then within a week or two, there was an article that appeared in some nature journal about the fact that trees in fact do sleep. They do have sleep cycles. Um, which I totally did not know before beforehand. Um, you know, they they have uh you know, it's obviously not sleeping in the same way that we think of animals or humans sleeping. Um, but they do have these daytime, nighttime cycles. So, um, 
you know, my brain was making, making some sense out of some information. You know, I sing the trees to sleep at night. Um, my brain was making some sense out of some interaction with, with a nature spirit and, um, you know, which turned out to have some, um, scientific background to it. So over the years I've encountered, um, you know, lots of different nature spirits. And so over this past weekend, in fact, I, um, I put, um, I put a small altar in a wooded area of my, um, property I live on to the nature spirits, because I think it's good to particularly honor the spirits of place. Um, you know, certainly they're in, in, in the fairy faiths, you know, in the places where they still, um, make offerings to fairies and that sort of thing. Um, they can be seen as guardians and they can, they can help, um, protect your land your home, you know, that sort of thing from calamity, right? Protect you from fires and natural disasters and, and that sort of thing and keep an eye out on things. And, um, if they're unhappy, you know, certainly they can let you know that as well. Um, a lot of, a lot of weird things can happen. Things can go missing. Things can, um, uh, break electronics can go wonky it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I've certainly experienced sort of both sides of that. And I would never, um, at this point in my life, having the experiences that I've had, I would never um, move to a place or, have you know, you know uh, live in a place where I have not made some contact with the spirits of place. And so in, um, in Norse, uh, belief in ancient Norse belief, you had the land vetter, right? Which are the land vetter are the spirits of the land. Okay. And then, um, you know, even in Taoism, you know, when you look at feng shui, which is, you know, a lot of people think feng shui is about situating furniture in your house. And that, you know, was certainly part of it from my understanding, but it is also about Geomancy, it's also about looking at the flow of energy in a place and situating things in such a way that they're in harmony. Um, and I find that a really beautiful way of, of looking at things because when you can get to the when you get to the point where you can perceive spirit and you can perceive energy and and that sort of thing, you realize that there are flows and stoppages and uh, different frequencies and, and that sort of thing. So I want to talk a little bit about the middle world as well um, because it's an important consideration um, from, you know, I do, when I teach shamanism and I teach shamanic journeying in particular, we always caution um, people about the middle world a little bit because it is a little bit like the frontier of the Western United States back in the day when, before it was really settled, it was a wild place full of dangers. And, um, you know, some people were friendly, some people were not, and, you know, that sort of thing. So, as I said, the middle world is full of spirits. Um, you know, it can sometimes appear crowded, actually, interestingly enough, if you're, you're never alone. That's one, you know, that's one thing. So, think about that you know, before you 
litter or pollute something or whatever there are um there are people watching and as i say this there's a chipmunk just came up on my porch and he's stuffing peanuts into his cheeks and a crow just flew into my yard so um these are these are great omens these are um you know uh <laughs> you know lovely lovely spirits of nature with physical bodies that are that are showing up to say hi to me this morning so the middle world is a very crowded place and um you know i i always talk about it it's sort of like um moving around in a foreign city that you're visiting for the first time right and you don't necessarily know where the good neighborhoods are or the bad neighborhoods or you know if there are pickpockets in one location or kidnappers or um, you know, or where there are friendly folk or, you know, that sort of thing. So I do caution people to be a little careful in the middle world. You know, and when we teach journeying in the middle world, we teach some safety protocols for that. The other, um, the other aspect of the middle world are that there are spirits that I wouldn't necessarily consider nature spirits there. Um, so when you hear stories about ghosts or, you know, um, discarnate humans who are, you know, quote unquote trapped here. Um, you know, that, um, that part of them that is trapped here is, is trapped, you know, stuck is a better word. It's not trapped. There's nobody trapping them here. People sometimes get stuck because they're, you know, they're killed and it's a surprise or they're not ready to pass on, or there's some, you know, there's there's a myriad of reasons why human spirits get stuck in the middle world. So there are, you know, there are suffering spirits in the middle world. When you know, when shamanic practitioners encounter these suffering spirits, um, even though they can sometimes appear scary or angry or um, be doing something that we would consider harmful, we tend to treat them like clients because they're they're suffering beings, right? And they deserve compassion. Um, and so we do work frequently that's called psychopomp work. And psychopomp is a work, word that um, is, it, you know, it comes from the Greek, which is sort of the, um, it means sort of the conveyor of spirits, psycho you know even though we we get the word psychology from it and it tends to mean mind in uh in english anyway um psycho is actually a word that means spirit in greek and um so psychology actually would be the study of the spirit but you know we know it as the study of the mind and so psychopomp is um you know an individual could be non-human individual, but an individual that helps shuttle um, spirits to where they're supposed to go. So if you think about Greek mythology, you can think about Charon, who is the boat uh, across the river, you know, rows the boat across the river Styx. And you have to pay the ferryman to shuttle your spirit to the afterlife. Okay, so there, you know, if you think about um, Norse mythology, you have the Valkyrie who worked for Odin, who took his, you know, the people that were going with him after battle up to Valhalla. So there's, you know, there's psycho, again, there's this 
cross-cultural, many, you know, lots and lots of different cultures have this idea of a psychopomp. Well, in, um, and most, you know, most shamanic training, if you're trained as a shamanic, shamanic practitioner, um, you do learn to do psychopomp work because, um, we, you know, we have this sort of equal vision of all spirits. So, um, again, we, we would treat discarnate human humans as, as if they were clients and help them, you know, we don't, we don't banish, we don't bottle spirits up. We don't, um, enslave spirits, any of those, any of those things. I know there are cultures where that is, um, that is a thing where they, you know, they do that. Um, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to cast judgment, so I won't <laughs> I'll hold back. I would just say that that's not something that I personally would do and, or, you know, anybody in my tradition would, would do that. Um, so I will leave that to, I will leave that to you to, um, there's a difference between sort of, um, enslaving and capturing and enshrining. There are cultures where spirits are enshrined, um, and they're sort of free to come and go and, and sort of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, shamanism takes a very level playing field view. It's not, um, you know, I am the king, I'm the king of the castle. I work in tandem with um, helping spirits. Some of those are middle world spirits sometimes. Um, so anyway, back to nature spirits. Uh, I realize I go off on a lot of tangents, but I hope that's interesting. I hope that when I expand on a topic and um, go off in a little direction that it's not too confusing and that it, that you find it interesting. Because uh, that's just how I am. That's just how I uh, <laughs> I choose to talk about things. So, um, you know, I'm very, very curious about nature spirits and how they show up. And one of the interesting, um, one of the interesting phenomena to me is that Again, there's this description of little people in many, many different cultures, right? Um, the Menahune in Hawaii, the fairies, trolls, elves. Um, I guess trolls aren't necessarily little people, but elves sometimes are perceived as little people. Sometimes trolls are, um, you know, um, leprechauns, certainly. Um, all kinds of beings are perceived as little people. Brownies, um, Green Sleeves is another one, uh, or not Green Sleeves, I'm sorry, that's the song. Um, green Coats is another word for them, which is interesting because the first nature spirit I ever encounter, I can remember encountering was was wearing a green coat um, before I knew that that was a thing. Um, so, you know, what's going on with this little, you know, this little people, why are they perceived as small? Are they actually small? Are they smaller than we are? Um, so the answer to that is a little bit complicated. Um, one answer I will give you is that they're, uh, you know, in journeying and doing shamanic journeying, um, nature spirits are all different sizes um, from teeny tiny little beings, you know, the size of your, you know, half of your thumb to um, giants, you know, 
uh, giants are another thing, right? Giants are um, lots and lots of different cultures have have this idea of giants, um, and whether there were physical giants or you know um, just you know the idea of um, you know spirit beings that that are just really huge. You know that's been my experience. I've experienced some very large spirit beings. Um, so if you journey in the middle world, you'll encounter nature spirits that are all different sizes that are small and tall and human size and, you know, animal size and all kinds of stuff. Um, many of them take on, many of them appear, um, humanoid. I won't necessarily say human, um, cause they can be very different morphologically. They can be very different. They can have, you know, for example, be sort of short and stout, like, I don't know, a little, little chubby elves. Um, if you think about the, I don't know if they have this in other countries, but in the U S we have the Keebler elves that make cookies and live in a tree. Um, you know, it's, it's a brand of, uh, it's a brand of, snacks and cookies that are, um, you know, they created, you know, commercials with these little, little chubby elves. So there's that, there's, um, creatures that have very long limbs. There are creatures that appear to be part plant and part animal. And you see the green man in, um, Celtic culture, right. Who is, uh, this, um, you know, usually pictured as like a face with leaves growing out of it, um, kind of thing. I've experienced similar, um, similar nature spirits. And I don't know for sure that the green man is a nature spirit. I'm just saying, um, the appearance, appearance wise, um, this, this seems to be, this seems to be something I have encountered beings that are close to that. And, um, and so, um, you know, some of them fly and some of them swim or live in the water and some of them, walk on land. So again, there's this huge variety, right? There's this huge variety of these nature spirits. Um, most that I have encountered have been humanoid, but not all of them, certainly. And there are these, there's the idea of, um, mythological creatures as well. So, um, you know, from dragons to, um, you know, sort of non-human, non-human mythological creatures. And do these exist in the middle world that I'm not sure about? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't encountered a dragon in person. Um, I suppose that would be a really interesting thing for me to explore. Um, but dragons seem to be part of every culture as well. So there's probably something there, right? You have, um, you have, certainly dragons appearing in um, European cultures. You certainly have dragons appearing in East Asian cultures. So, um, and you know, how, how does that, how does that happen? I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, unless there's some sort of cultural, you know, cultural exchange of the idea of dragon or um, it's an archetype or, you know, I don't even know. Um, so is it possible that, uh, you know, dragons are spiritual beings that exist in the middle world? I suppose, right? I do know people who have encountered 
dragons in journeys, um, usually not in middle world realms. So there are, there are places where you can travel and journey where there are, you're more likely to encounter mythological beings. Um, but they're sort of more ethereal than, than kind of middle world. And then there's, you know, in, you know, I'm thinking of the, uh, you know, St. George, the dragon slayer in, in, um, you know, the patron saint of, I think it's the patron saint of, I don't know if it's England or London specifically. I think it's England. Um, the patron saint supposedly slayed, slew, right? Slew is the past tense of, of slay. I don't know. Slew a dragon. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing to explore as well. Like why, you know, and in, certain certainly in european stories of of dragons and when we see like um tolkien's you know the the hobbit and all of those stories um you know dragons are not necessarily nice beings um they hoard gold and all that sort of thing and so i think there you know there's some there's definitely some cultural overlay there as well where in um you know, some East Asian cultures, dragons are seen as protectors, you know, um, and, you know, as protective spirits. So, I don't know, there's certainly some cultural overlay. Um, so, my experience with the nature spirits is that they, you know, the temperament really differs, right? It's just like human beings, you know, just like if you're wandering around and, you know, a city you don't know, if you're journeying in the middle world and you encounter nature, you know, nature spirits, some of them will be indifferent to you. They won't care that you're there. Some of them would be curious, like, hey, what are you doing here? You can see me. Some of them will be overjoyed to meet you. Some of them will be angry that you've interrupted them or, um, you know, entered their space without permission or without an offering or that sort of thing. So it's best to be careful about these things, and there are lots and lots of cautionary tales um, among the cultures that uh, follow sort of fairy faith or believe in little beings or that sort of thing, and there are lots of, um, you know, there are lots and lots of recommendations about leaving offerings or don't step into a circle of mushrooms or don't trod along certain trails or, you know... that sort of thing. Um, my advice is, you know, um, just like if you were traveling to a foreign country, it is important to do your best to respect the culture and respect the rules of where you're traveling. Okay, even though we live in the middle world. When we tromp along like we're the only beings here, you know, you can, um, you know, you can cause damage, right? If I just, you know, walk around throwing my garbage everywhere, um, you know, I'm, I'm causing, you know, I'm causing damage and that's not right. So, you know, if I travel to a foreign country, I try to learn a little bit of, you know, if, if, you know, they speak a language I don't understand. I'll try to learn at least a little bit so I can get around. I will read about customs, so I will try not to do something that's deemed offensive. Um, 
you know, I will respect the locals. I will respect the law. I will, um, you know, embrace with curiosity and love and kindness, um, you know, the people who offer up bits of their, bits of their culture, right? People like to take pride in their culture. If people come, um, if people come visit me in Maine, for example, I, you know, we have a, um, you know, I'm surrounded by beautiful nature and an amazing, um, coastline with, uh, beaches and rocky shores and islands and all of those things. And I take pride in that. And I like to show people around. And so it's, it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing, um, you know, with nature spirits, some of them are, you know, they're all, you know, they all live here. This is their home, right? The reason why they're nature spirits is that they live in nature. They live in, you know, the world that we, that we look out at and consider nature. And, um, you know, so this is their home. And so it's important for us to respect that. And, you know, my work in shamanism shows me that we're, you know, there's this sort of infinite web of all living things, um, you know, of all spirits and, uh, we're all connected. So if I disrespect, if I, if I pollute or I don't recycle or I do all of these things that's harming the earth, like I'm part of that web. I'm part of that net. I'm not disconnected. I'm not separate. And so respecting those things at, you know, even from a selfish superficial level is respecting myself, right? I'm, I'm affecting the world that I live in. So, um, yeah, when you, when you walk in nature, when you go in nature, go in reverence, right? Show, show, show respect, whatever that means. Um, leave nothing but footprints was sort of the, the camping motto when I was, when I was a boy and I was in the boy Scouts, right? We always left a place at least as pristine as when we got there. Sometimes, you know, if we got to a camping spot or something and, um, some people had trashed it. We would clean it up, right? We would leave it better than better than the way we found it. So the lesson there is how do we how do we as humans leave places better than when we found them? And it's hard because we make an impact just by living on the planet by eating food. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, it doesn't matter if you're vegan, you know, and, you know, power to you if you are and you only eat, you know, you try to make as little impact as you can, you're still making an impact. Your food still has to be grown somewhere. Fields have to be plowed. You know, um, territory has to be taken up to grow the food that you eat. Um, so we do make, we do make an impact. So how do we, how do we, Look at that. How do we lessen that? How do we live in better harmony? And, you know, it's really about the small choices that we make. Do we choose to recycle? Do we choose to compost? Do we choose to, um, you know, participate in beach cleanups in our area? Or um, do we just treat the earth as if it's disposable? And, you know, 
um, and make the make the nature spirits angry at us. We don't want to do that. When we live in harmony with them, they will take care of us. Um, you know, most of them will take care of us. They they appreciate it. When you make offerings and offerings, you don't have to change your belief system, you know, or believe, you know, or or do nature worship or become a shaman or practice animism, any of those things. By making offerings, um, you know, it could be simple. You could feed the birds, right? I have a bird feeder and I feed the small mammals in the area. You know, I put out put out foods that I'm very conscious of that are healthy for them. Um, and it's especially important where I live over the winter where a lot of birds have trouble, um, you know, have can have trouble finding food. So I do put, you know, I do put food out for them, especially in the winter. And it increases, you know, there's, there is research to show that increases the survivability rates. So, you know, I'm taking care of the animals I'm taking care of the environment. I'm very keen on recycling and, um, you know, taking a stance on things, you know, trying to be as ecological as I can be, but also keeping in mind that no matter what I do, just the fact that I exist on this planet and um, I use electricity and I use have to use fossil fuels for the time being. Um, I don't have any other way to to get around. I would love to own an electric vehicle, but um, that is you know it's a little outside my price range at the moment. But someday in the near future. I'll be able to reduce my impact on the world. So it's about making conscious choices. It's about choosing, um, you know, choosing things that, you know, if given two choices, I, you know, I try to make try to make one that is less impactful. Um, if you so desire, you can, you know, actually, you know, leave real offerings for nature spirits, um, you know, Really, I find to, you know, you want to honor the spirits of place. And so where where I live, um, this, you know, I live on land that was um, traditionally occupied by the Wabanaki people. Um, you know, um, at least, you know, the, I, my understanding is a big confederacy of people, Wabanaki people, and... Um, you know, one traditional offering um, for this area might be cornmeal, right? And so I do, you know, I will offer cornmeal in this in this area simply because um, that's a historic offering, right? That's something that has gone on here forever. Um, sometimes I will also um, offer mead, which is honey wine. Um, you know, I'll put out a little cup of mead as an offering in honor of my ancestors who were, um, who were Scandinavian and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, some other, you know, some other offerings as well. You know, like I said, I put out food for the birds. So if you so desire, you can put out offerings for nature spirits. And, um, that seems to be a big part of animistic culture, uh, all over the world. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's it's a way of living in greater harmony with the nature spirits that are around you that are around you. So I hope this has been you know I hope this has been interesting and certainly somewhat enlightening. Enlightening, um, 
about nature spirits and what they are and um they have always been here they will always be here you know time doesn't have as much meaning in um time and space don't really have as much meaning in the spirit world and that's sort of why uh sometimes these nature spirits appear appear to us as being small um but they they do come in all different sizes and shapes and forms and that sort of thing there's there's quite a variety um anyway you know uh i will leave you with that i will get back to recording these on a more regular basis um i wish you all well and we will talk to you next time been listening to speaking spirit with your host john moore for more info or to contact john go to mainshaman.com that's m-a-i-n-e-s-h-a-m-a-n.com